If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews is towards the end of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to grab uh, one of the hard-covered black Bibles uh, somewhere nearby. Uh, should be under uh, one of the seats nearby. <clears throat> so we just heard of God's salvation in Anderson's life. And so I want you to think about salvation for a moment. I want you to think about your salvation. I want you to think about this question. Is your salvation a past completed event? Or is your salvation a present ongoing struggle with temptation? Or is your salvation a future reality? The answer, of course, is Yes, it is all three of those, all at the same time. And the question is, what's the relationship between those, right? Okay, so salvation is a past completed event done on my behalf. It is also a present ongoing struggle with temptation, and it is also a future reality that I will experience. But how do those things tie together? Well, What we're going to see this morning in our text is that these aspects of salvation are inseparably linked together. You see, too often we think that our salvation is merely a past event. And sometimes we might think about that it's a future reality. God has saved me. One day I will be with him forever. But we just kind of skip over the parts where we're supposed to turn to him in our present struggles, in our present temptations with sin. We're going to see in our passage today that we must not do that. Instead, what we are to do in our present struggles, in our present temptations, is we are to remain faithful in temptation, looking to Jesus who entered your suffering to help you. It's a big idea we'll see This morning, remain faithful in temptation, looking to Jesus who entered your suffering to help you. Perhaps some of the language in that main idea for this morning will sound familiar. We've heard for the past couple of weeks this big overarching exhortation that we get from the whole book of Hebrews, and that is this, remain faithful in every situation, looking to Jesus who is superior in every way. So today, we're going to look at just one aspect, temptation and how Christ entering our suffering helps us in temptation. Let's see it in God's Word together in Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, 
of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would use your word to transform us more into your image and likeness. Lord, we ask that we would no longer be conformed to this world, but instead that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds with your word. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So again, the main idea for us this morning, the main exhortation is this, remain faithful in temptation, looking to Jesus who entered your suffering to help you. That's our big exhortation for this morning. The text will really be three uh, exhortations that will work out this bigger exhortation of the passage. So three exhortations this morning. The first one in verses 1 through 5, verses 1 through5. Do not neglect this great salvation. Do not neglect this great salvation. Notice in verse 1, the writer of Hebrews transitions into this section by pleading that his readers pay attention to what they have heard so that they not drift away from it. And then if you look in chapter or in verse 3, he asks a question, a rhetorical question. How shall we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's a rhetorical question. If I add some of the wording around the question, 
it would sound like this. How shall we escape the just retribution of our sins if we drift away from the message of the gospel? The answer, of course, to the rhetorical question is we won't. We will not escape the slavery of sin or the just retribution for our sins if we drift away from or neglect the message of the gospel, the message of salvation. You see, the audience of this book of Hebrews is Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians. And the writer sees that these Christians are wandering away from the faith. Similar to the testimony we just heard, just wandering away from the faith they had been brought up in. Wandering away from the truth of the message that they had heard and had been attested to them. He sees them, they're they're wandering towards a proverbial cliff. And they're about to drift away from the faith. And the writer is pleading with them, he's exhorting them, don't do that. Don't wander away or drift away from the faith. Don't do that. If you do that, he gives them a warning. If you do that, the truth of the gospel is not going to remain on you. And you are actually showing that the truth of the gospel never actually impacted your life. If the gospel doesn't impact your actual day-to-day life, you've never actually really put your faith and trust in that good news. I imagine there are some here in this room who are like those Jewish Christians. You are on the edge of leaving the faith. Why? Well, quite simply, the temptations of this life are luring you away from the message of salvation. The message for you this morning is simple. Do not neglect such a great salvation. Don't neglect it. Don't wander away from it. But I want you to take a moment and and do a little self-examination. What are those temptations for you currently? What is pulling you away from the great salvation that God has called to you? What is pulling you away from Jesus? Anderson just gave testimony for him. It was was being caught up in work and this uh, desire that he had to, uh, to work well. And to learn this new task, what is it for you? What is drawing you away from the truth? It is best for you not to leave this sermon in like very vague ideas, right? So if you're like, ah, temptations generally, and you start to think about what temptations other people might be struggling with around you, or you might be thinking of the temptations that, uh, that perhaps your spouse is struggling with, or the temptations that your children are struggling with, and you start to hear this sermon on their behalf, I would plead with you, don't do that. What are the temptations that you are struggling with? What are the temptations you're struggling with that are causing you to wander away from the faith. I would encourage you as you do so, write them down. Write them down. You can cover up your notes if you need to. Write down your current temptation. When you do so, use biblical language. All right, we have this, this horrible knack of coming up with cutesy terms for our sin. That is not helping us fight it. Use biblical language for your sin. Now, before we move on, let us ensure that we know the message of salvation that we're talking about. Let us never assume that we know the message of salvation 
You may hear us call it the gospel. That word simply means the good news. The message that was declared by the angels, the message that was declared by the Lord Jesus, the message that was attested to the saints before us, the message that was affirmed by God with signs and wonders and spiritual gifts. What is the message? Well, the good news, the gospel, starts with bad news. The bad news is that you have sinned against an almighty God. No matter whatever cutesy language you use or no matter what you do to distract yourself from that reality and run away from that reality, it is true that you have sinned against an almighty God. And that sin is enslaving you to itself. It's enslaving you to sin. And it is ultimately leading you to death and destruction. You have sinned against the almighty God. That sin deserves Eternal punishments, to be cast away from God's presence and into eternal suffering. That's the bad news. So now we're ready for some good news. The good news is this. We actually get some of the language. We'll just grab the language here from Hebrews chapter 1. Look back at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the second half of verse 3. It says that the Son of God after making purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. What happens? The Son of God made purification for sins. That's good news. I I don't have to make purification for my own sins. I don't have to live the perfect life. Jesus has made purification for sins. Now look at chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 2, the second half of verse 2. It says that every transgression or disobedience has received a just retribution. But in the context there, it's not that we've received the just retribution. It's been received by someone else. Jesus has bore our sins so that we don't have to. He actually says it similarly as well at the end of our passage. In verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he, Jesus, was made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So, the good news is that Jesus Christ has made purification for sins, he has been a propitiation for our sins. He has uh, taken on himself the just retribution for our sins so that we don't have to. That's the good news. That Christ, his perfect life can count for us. His perfect suffering through temptation can count for us so that we don't have to. That is the message of salvation, that Jesus Christ saves us. He purifies us from our sins, from our transgressions, from our disobedience to God. And we can look to Christ for our salvation. That's what salvation is. Looking to Christ for our salvation, not looking inside ourselves for salvation. Looking to Christ. Do not, and so the message of our passage is, do not neglect that message. Don't neglect that you can turn to Christ in your sin. Turn to Christ in your temptation. Do not drift away from that by looking somewhere else for help in temptation. Look to Christ. 
Look to Jesus in your temptations. Do not neglect this great salvation by drifting away from it. Don't look anywhere else in your temptations. Look to Jesus. You may ask, well, why? Why why can I look to Jesus besides the fact that he's my Savior, besides the fact that he is saving me from death and I will one day live with him forever? The author actually tells us a different reason in our passage why we should look to Jesus. The second exhortation for us from uh, verses 6 through 15, verses 6 through 15, look to Jesus who entered your suffering. Look to Jesus who entered your suffering. The writer picks up an idea that he started back in chapter 1, and that is that Jesus is superior to the angels. Why would he have to say something like that? Well, angels are pretty impressive. The Hebrew Christians that our writer is writing to would have been very impressed and excited about angels. Why? Well, because in the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, angels are very impressive. It's very easy to get excited about angels. They also do something really interesting. When things are looking really bad, angels show up, they swoop in, they save the day in some way, and then they leave. Right? So typically, they'll, they may show up and announce good news. Hey, I know things look bad, but it's going to get better. They show up and announce good news. Man, praise God. Other times, angels show up and they physically save a person or a people from impending death. Again, they show up, they do that, and then they leave. Usually pretty quickly. Sometimes angels show up and fight an entire battle for the people of God. Like, The people of God are arrayed in battle. The enemies of the people of God are arrayed in battle. And all of a sudden, God says, you know what? This host of angels is going to take care of this for you. They're able to see. And the host of angels takes care of it for them. And then they leave. Man, sometimes that's what we're looking for in our lives, isn't it? Somebody just show up, fix the problem, and leave. So you can see why the Hebrews thought a lot of angels. Right? They show up, they solve a problem, and then they leave. But we learn here that Jesus is actually better than the angels. He says it multiple times in the first two chapters. Jesus is better than the angels. Back in chapter 1, we learn that Jesus is better than the angels because he is higher than the angels. He is more exalted than the angels. Jesus is the Son of God, we learn. Angels are never called the Son of God. Jesus is worshipped by the angels, not the other way around. Jesus sits on eternal, an eternal throne at the right hand of God the Father. No angel can ever say that. So that's chapter 1, that Jesus is greater, he's more exalted than the angels. That's chapter 1. But here in chapter 2, we see another aspect of Jesus in his superiority to the angels, and that is this, that Jesus entered our suffering. Angels don't do that. Notice what it says in verse 9. Jesus, this one who is sovereign over everything, what happened? For a little while, he was made lower than the angels. He suffered death. He tasted death. Notice verse 10. Jesus, this one who is the founder of salvation, was made perfect through suffering. Notice verse 14. 
Jesus, the one who destroyed the devil, partook of the same things as those whom he saved. He entered into our condition. No angel has done those things. Angels show up. They carry out a specific task that they've been given by God to accomplish. And then they're gone back into the spiritual realm. We can't see them. But what happened with Jesus is he entered our estate. Jesus entered our suffering. Jesus himself suffered. Jesus shared of the same things that you and I are tempted with every single day. Jesus was hungry. Jesus got tired. Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. Jesus is tempted, was tempted. And not just for a night, not just for a week, for 33 years, give or take, he entered our estate. He suffered. He entered our suffering. He suffered all the way to death. The death that he died was at the hands of men that he created on a tree that he created. We must look to Jesus. You see, escape from sin and its consequences will not be found in looking inside yourself. Escape from sin and its consequences will not be found in looking to angels to provide some quick miraculous fix. So often we treat God like the Hebrew Christians would have thought of angels. God, I just need you to come fix this situation and then go on so I can go on with my life. Right? Isn't that how we treat God? We treat Him like we see angels in the Old Testament. God, just I got this tough situation. If you could just get rid of that, you and I could be cool again and I can go on with my life and never call you. And Until there's another problem, then I'll call you again. We can't do that. Escape is not found in doing that. Daily escape from sin and its consequences is found in the same place it's found in salvation. Escape from sin and its consequences is found by looking to Jesus. Do not neglect the gospel of salvation in your daily struggles with temptations by looking to other places. Look to Jesus. He is the founder of salvation. He is the founder of salvation who suffered, who bled, and ultimately died. You may say, Brian, I hear you, but there are things like in my life right now that are really hard. The third exhortation this morning, in verses 16 through 18, look to Jesus, your help in present temptation. Look to Jesus, your help, in present temptation. This last section is clear. Jesus did not do what he did to help angels. Jesus lived the perfect life and died a substitutionary sacrificial death to help the children of Abraham. Jesus went toe-to-toe with Satan and defeated him to help the children of of Abraham. He was made like his brothers in every respect. And notice why verse 18, last verse of our passage, 
because Jesus has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It may help you to read that sentence the other direction. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Why? Because he suffered when tempted. Jesus is able to help you because he's walked the path that you've walked in every respect. If you are in Christ, meaning if you have trusted and are trusting in Jesus Christ as your hope for eternal salvation, eternal rescue, deliverance from sin, then you are a grafted in, adopted in child of Abraham. Jesus is your brother. And Jesus is your help in present temptations. You don't need to look for help deep inside yourself. You don't need to look for help in the latest self-help book and just wander aimlessly around the bookstore and find the massive section called self-help and start looking, ah, I'm struggling with this. Let me just start pulling books off the shelf and looking for help. You don't need to do that. You don't need to find a teacher that sounds interesting and has an awesome social media profile and you just listen to everything they say and, ah, this, this is going to be the solution to my problem. You don't have to do that. You don't have to follow the latest trend or fad that's, oh, with, if you've got this problem, you need to do this. You don't have to do that. What you need to do is look for Jesus. He is our help in present temptation. If you are not trusting Jesus in your present temptations, then you are wandering from the faith. You are neglecting the faith. Ultimately, that path, if you stay on that path, will lead you to a place where it is obvious to everyone around you and eventually obvious to you that you never really trusted in Jesus for your salvation. If you're only trusting in Jesus as like some sort of fire insurance, right? Like, I just don't want to go to hell. And you're not trusting him in your daily temptations, your daily struggles with sin. Then it's quite possible you've never trusted in him for your eternal salvation. Praise God, it's not too late. Repent. Like if you, you're like, wow, that's me. I'm, I'm wandering away from the faith. I'm going after this other thing, and I'm leaving behind the Jesus that I knew, that I thought I believed in. Well, it's not too late. Repent, turn, and look to Jesus as your help in your time of need, as your help in your present temptations. Look to Jesus as your help in whatever that temptation is that you're struggling with. Let us return to the question that we started with this morning. Is salvation a one-time past event completed on the cross of Christ where Jesus made purification for sins and sat down? Yes, absolutely. Is salvation a future reality where we will see all things subjected to Jesus Christ and we will live forever with God in perfect fellowship and perfect unity? Yeah, absolutely. And 
part sometimes we skip out on is salvation, looking to Jesus as our help in every temptation we face? Absolutely. Absolutely. As you look to walk in these truths and exhortations this morning, as you leave here and you're about to go out in your day, you're like, okay, look to Jesus in my temptations. Look to, all right. Three, three questions to work through as you seek to apply this, to practice this in your actual life. I love that. The um, a writer, Wayne Grudem, uses that uh, definition for sanctification, this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. He says it's a process of becoming more and more like Jesus in your actual life. In your actual life. That's what we're talking about. So first question, three questions. First question, what are your present temptations? I know I just asked that question a few moments ago, but really, what is it? What is it? Write it down. Use biblical language. What temptations are you struggling with this week? Do you realize that these temptations are luring you away from Christ? They're luring you away from the faith altogether if you allow them to. So go ahead and name them. Write them down. Use biblical language so that you can address the sin that the Bible talks about. Another author said that uh, wrestling sin in darkness by yourself is like wrestling an alligator in water. Okay? If, however, you'll call the sin a sin and talk to other people about it and say, I'm struggling with this sin. And you bring other people, you drag that sin, you call it what it is, and you bring it into the light, that's like wrestling an alligator in a tree. Right? You've got a much better shot to wrestle an alligator up in a tree than in the water. Some of y'all haven't wrestled enough alligators. Like you, we got to get this thing up a tree to have any chance. Bring sin into the light. Bring it into the light. Call it what it is. Second question, what is the gospel truth regarding that particular temptation? One of the things that will help you in using biblical language is it's a way easier to search the Bible for that thing if you're calling it what the Bible calls it not an affair, it's adultery. It's not your eyes wander, it's lust. Right? It's not, I just eat a little too much, it's called gluttony. It's not, you know, I just, it's, it's not exciting to go to work anymore, and so I just kind of stopped going, or when I do go, I just put in half-hearted work. The Proverbs call that being a sluggard. Right? Define the biblical language for your particular sin, and then go find the gospel truths regarding that particular sin and temptation. Again, it would be helpful to write it down. Use biblical language. Honestly, the passage that we read earlier in the service from Matthew chapter 4 will hit some big ones. If you don't know where to start, just spend the afternoon in Matthew chapter 4. Spend tomorrow morning in Matthew chapter 4. Spend the next few mornings in Matthew chapter 4. What happens in Matthew chapter 4? Jesus goes toe-to-toe with Satan and does so perfectly. He does so perfectly. He hits some of the big ones. Desires of the flesh. The first one, Jesus has fasted for 40 days. 
And the first thing Satan brings them, you know, you probably figured this out, but you could turn that stone into bread and you could eat it. And Jesus says, no, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan goes through various temptations. So he hits desires of the flesh like food. There's a quick correlation there to sex as well. My flesh desires this. I got to go after it. There's also the temptation to test God, to test God with foolish things. You're running out on this thing and you just need God to co-sponsor it. There's also the temptation to worship people and things other than God at the advance of our own power. That's a big one. So again, Jesus experiences all of these temptations. He goes toe-to-toe with Satan, and Jesus endures all of those temptations without sin. He is our help in present temptation. Third question. How can I walk in this gospel truth? In my actual life, like how can I actually walk in this gospel truth? What are some specific verses perhaps that I can memorize to combat this temptation when it happens? Right? So I have some verses I've memorized that I can use scripture to fight against this. Maybe there's some specific things that I need to change in my life and stop doing these things and start doing these things to fight This temptation, again, things that will help you turn to Jesus and away from the temptation. How can you turn from this temptation and walk in Christ? Now, for all three of these questions, some of you are like, man, I don't know the biblical language. I certainly don't know where in the Bible to to find out where it speaks to that particular sin and that particular temptation. And I don't even know how to start to change my life to conform more to the Scriptures. Just remember in all of these, you're not alone. First, if you're in Christ, you have His Holy Spirit. And as you faithfully read the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit's the one that's like, hey, this this verse is for you. Like, I know you read a lot of verses this morning, but you need to pay attention to this one. Or like, perhaps there's some sermons that kind of hit you a little closer, like, hey, this one, this one's for you. That's the Holy Spirit drawing your attention to things. The other thing is you're not alone. You have a church body around you. I don't know if you notice there's other people in the room. Sometimes we forget that. We're like, no, this is, man, preacher, you were speaking just to me. I was, and all the other people around you, right? There's other people here. Some of them know the Bible really well. Man, praise God. Anderson said his whole family, like, wrote the Bible. Not really. They didn't write the Bible. Do not quote me on that, but, like, people know the Scriptures well. They've struggled with those temptations as well. Right? Hey, do you, hey man, do you, do you know any Bible verses on lust? Like, yeah, I do. I know them really well. Why is that? Because I've struggled with lust as well. Hey, do you, know, do you know any verses about like having a good work ethic and not being a sluggard? Yeah, I do. I've got them underlined in my Bible. It might take me half a second to get there, but like I, I can get there. Right? We've got the body of Christ to help us in these things. These tasks are not meant to be carried out alone, not meant to be carried out alone, and yet the task is important. This is a weighty task. It is a matter of eternal life and death, right? Your actual temptations 
in your actual life today and this week are not separate and devoid from your eternal salvation. This is where it gets lived out. Remain faithful in temptation. How? Looking to Jesus. Why? Because he entered your suffering to help you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need your help. You know that. We are growing to understand that, that we need your help. We are tempted to wander away from you at every single turn. We're tempted. We even sing a song uh, sometimes here that we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. We are prone to leave the God we love. We're prone to wander. We're prone to drift away. Every new day, every new season, every new relationship, they all give us all sorts of opportunities to drift away from the truth of your great salvation, Lord. So, Lord, we ask you to teach us to turn our eyes to you, to show us more of you. And as we do so, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. We want that, Lord. It's our desire. That we would see more of you, and the things of this world would just grow strangely dim. Jesus, it is in your name that we pray. Amen.